Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. In my earlier Money Tips episode, we talked about how to recover debts without using a lawyer. Today, I want to give you three golden rules on how to avoid the problem in the first place. Now, if you follow these three golden rules, then you will avoid or cut out 90% of your problems associated with bad debts and poor cash flow. Prevention, as they say, is better than cure. Now, first of all, I believe this is partly a mindset problem. You know, many small business people are afraid to, for instance, ask for payment in advance or, or check out customers. And some of them don't value their service sufficiently to even charge correctly or ask for the right amount of money. But let me take you back to my business story, uh, which started you know, a good few years ago. I, I'd had other businesses before this, but in 1999, uh, my partner and I started a business recruiting overseas nurses to work in the UK and in America. Now, we supplied nurses to the NHS and to the private sector. But at the start, it was the NHS. And we would basically do all the work recruiting and vetting the candidates. We would arrange their work permits, their visas, make travel arrangements, meet and greet at the airport, usually at like half five in the morning, uh, drive them to the place where they were working, sometimes you know down on the south coast or up north. And after all this, we then invoice the client and then wait to get paid after the nurse had started and, you know, and they were happy with them. You know, in some cases we waited and we waited and, and we waited. Now, one of our very first contracts was with the leading NHS specialist hospital in London. I won't mention their name, but they, they do the sort of upper parts of the body. They're very well known. Now, this was in the early, you know, I think early 2000. And it was just when hospitals were starting to look at overseas recruitment to solve their recruitment problems. There was a massive shortage at that time. There's a massive shortage now. I, I should get back into the business, really. Anyway, they, they after you know a couple of meetings, they wanted 40 nurses and they signed an order and the nurses were spread over a 12 month period. I think every quarter they were going to take 10 or so. And I think we were charging something like £1,500 per nurse, which which was not a lot of money, actually. Now, I remember the day we won the contract and, you know, we were coming out of the hospital onto this busy road in London. And we're you know, literally jumping for joy. We're high fiving each other. It's myself and my partner. We were hugging and punching the air. You know, we'd arrived and we went for a coffee in a place next door. And we sat down and thought about this. It was it was amazing time, actually, to get this order. Now, that was all great. But the problem is that we had to do all the work and bear all the expenses, which included a flight for one of us to go there and deal with the recruitment side over. over this was in the Philippines, actually. And, uh, you know, we had to, to do all that. We had to pay for that. And um, it was quite a big operation. And this is before we'd even sort of sent in an invoice. So we were taking all the risk. Now, we'd supplied the staff and... This is maybe after three or four months, people have started to arrive. Uh, we'd gone to the airport, we met them, and they were very happy. The, the, the people we'd, we'd employed were very happy with the job. The company were happy with the people that come over. They were very, very good nurses. 
and you know I, I think everything was okay except one particular guy there's always one isn't there he, he caused a bit of problem complaining about everything but other than that every, everybody was, was happy and uh, you know we'd worked extremely hard on this contract it was our first big moment but what happened then is that we didn't get paid for over a year and we only did so after a considerable amount of chasing uh, cajoling from, from me I, I was the, the the credit controller if you like asking for the payment you know i went around the houses i was calling this department the the orders department the payments team the invoice people and then another and another and then back to them they said, no we don't know about this invoice you know by the time we delivered on the contract and, and all the nurses were there you know it was about 18 months be- from the order before we got paid now you know clearly we couldn't survive on supplying the nhs or, or any government department for that matter at the time you know, in other words, we'd have to, you know, run our office, pay rent, overhead, staff. You know, eventually we got staff. As we started off the two of us, but we, we eventually got staff. You know, we'd have to buy photocopy machines or rent them, phone systems, computers, equipment. You know, the usual stuff that goes with with running a physical business and do all the work. And after that, the NHS or government hospital expected us to wait for a year before they deemed, you know, that we were worthy to be paid. Now, fortunately, I had another business in financial services, which was was basically funding this new business. And my partner still had a full time job for the first year or so, or maybe a couple of years, I think. Now, otherwise, you know, there's no way we could have survived as a new business like that. So you've got to think about this when you're you're starting a business. How are you going to get paid? How are you going to run your business? Maybe you'll have an injection of capital. I don't know. But we we started the business on, on pretty much a shoestring, me putting in a few thousand pounds here and there. But moving forward... You know, we had to obtain other contracts so that we could get some money and get some cash flow in. So we approached private sector nursing homes and smaller establishments where, you know, they could make decisions on the spot. It didn't have to go to five committees before we got an order. And, you know, they would pay our our invoice within a month or so. Uh, In some cases, it was when it suited them, which wasn't when it suited us. But in general, we could get some quick business going, get some quick turnover, get some money in. And you know that that worked out very well. Now the, the private sector was not nearly so bad, and most of them paid us within a month or so of people arriving. I remember one lady paid me up on the spot. She just wrote me out a check there and then, but that was very very rare. And uh, you know we had a few difficult clients. We had to go through the county court system, which was I, I, where I learned to become a debt collector. And, you know, as in any small business, the managing director has to fulfill several roles, wear several hats, right? They've got to be a debt collector, a salesperson, an administrator, a bookkeeper, an accountant. You know, all these things that run in a small business, you have to, you know, multitask and not multitask, but you're you're jumping between role and and different roles until you, you can afford the staff to do these things for you. So we learnt that at that time that... Cash flow obviously is the lifeblood of any business. It's like the, the lifeblood flowing through the veins of your business. In other words, this is cash flow. Your business would soon die without the cash, no matter how many sales you're making, how much business you're doing. You know, I've seen many business, they sometimes call it overtrading, where they get so many orders in, they can't cope with it, they can't manufacture the goods or they can't supply the goods because they're not getting the money coming in fast enough to, to pay for everything. So you've got to have the right cash flow. So that brings me on to the first golden rule, and that is credit control. Now, this is the first tip to avoid bad debts and massively improve your, your, your cash flow, in other words. Now, if you don't have strong credit control and good systems in place to manage your money, your business will soon run into trouble. When you only have a few customers, 
you know, you might be able to rely on your memory and a few manual systems, a book or something. But as your business grows, you're going to get more and more busy fulfilling orders. And, you know, you need to have these systems in place to avoid getting yourself into a mess. And it it can very quickly happen because, you know, you're fulfilling orders. You forget about that invoice and you forget that that person hasn't paid or, you know, whatever. So you you need to have systems in place. Now, there are many software packages on the market, far more than when, when we started. You can get apps on phones that scan things and scan bills and all sorts of things. And these will help you sort of create invoices, track outstanding debts, produce a monthly report. So you can see on the monthly report how many people owe you money for a month, how many people owe you for three months and six months and so on. I think it's called an age debtor report. So you can get all those things with these software packages. Now, I I would advise you to speak to your accountant or bookkeeper to check which package suits their system because they may be able to import the information you've got to produce your accounts and that will save you time and money when it comes to to doing your annual accounts now credit control is basically about staying on top of the situation now if you use a software package to keep track of all payments coming in and going out and due then you you won't get yourself into a mess we had a bookkeeper eventually uh, to do this but you know they were completely useless to be honest um They were frequently incompetent and they almost ruined our business, believe it or not, um, if I'd have not taken back control of of these finances. I remember they couldn't tell us who owed us money properly. You know, so you need to know these things yourself, particularly if you're the director of the company. So just be careful with that. But staying on top of the situation, I mean, you must stay on top of the money side of things. Maybe this is why so many accountants end up running companies because they know what's coming in and going out and they're on top of the money situation. Now, the business changed when we changed and started to more or less ask for payment up front before starting work. Now, with the recruitment, we we couldn't really get money up front on the recruitment from from larger organisations. But where we were doing other work like consultancy work, like visa work for people that needed to extend their visa or they just needed a work permit, then we used to do that on credit. But then we changed. We started saying, look, we want some money up front for this. Now, my partner... She was running the, the operations side of things and she was brilliant at this. You know, she would simply say to them, you know, here are our written terms, like a terms of business letter. This had on the terms, this is what we're going to do for you. And at the bottom, it said, these, these are our fees payable in advance. And, uh, you know, she would present this. She wouldn't verbally say we are going to charge you X amount. It would be on the terms of business. So, you know, remember the old saying, seeing is believing. You look down there and, and, and you don't tend to argue with that. And, and people didn't. And, and simply at the end, she'd say, well, you know, how do you want to pay for this work? You know, would you like to pay by cash, credit card or, or check? Uh, so notice that it was all very professional. It was giving them a letter. Uh, they would read it. And then she would say, you know, how do you want to, to pay for this? And, and, and that always worked to treat. Now, there are many companies that didn't do this. And many of our colleagues in the industry would claim that you couldn't charge up front for this sort of business because people didn't have the money. I said, well, then... If they don't have the money, why are you doing work for them? I said, well, don't know about that. But, you know, they would be people who would owed money for years. And, you know, very people that asked for credit before you started the work and said they would pay you later were the very clients that would give you problems later down the line. Whenever we, whenever we bent on that rule and whenever we took a chance on someone who felt sorry for somebody, we would get problems from people. I remember... A guy coming in, his visa was about to expire. He said, I need this. You know, I'm desperate. Please, you know, put this application in. And this application wasn't just a one page form. It's like 
60, 80 pages. So it took a lot of work putting the whole thing together, gathering all the evidence. Usually it'd be a file, you know, three inches thick by the time you sent it off to the home office. But he was desperate and they asked me, should we just do the work? I said, all right, just do it. And he, he promised that once the case had gone in, he would pay us within a week or so. He never did. We ended up having to sue him. I ended up threatening to take an attachment of earnings through his employer and then he eventually paid us. But what a lot of hassle, you know, and it's the people you did favours for that would, would eventually mess you about. Now, this guy that I was talking about that still, you know, owed money for years, he still does work for people without taking the payment up front. And he's still insistent that people can't afford it. They have to pay monthly and all this sort of rubbish. But this is not the way we dealt with it. And I, I think the problem was mindset rather than the client. That we, we had people who swore blind they had no money, but my partner always stood firm and she'd say, look, you know, if you haven't got the money, come back when you have got the money. I said, well, my visa is expiring next month. I, I won't have it by then. You know, so, well, you know, we can't help you. Then, believe it or not, they, they'd go out and they'd go to the bank and 15 minutes later, they'd come back with cash. It was unbelievable. They were complete liars, in fact. You know, they just haven't got the money, but they have got the money. And sometimes I'd say to them, well, look, you know, we're not a licensed bank. We're not a credit card company. So we leave the lending to them. And they'd sort of laugh about it. You say it with a smile. Now, you might say now, OK, that's fine. You know, but you can't do this in my industry. But I, I, you know, I guarantee that there are people in your industry that charge on a different basis to you. So just, just think about this. I'll give you another example of, of, of poor credit control. I've used a local plumber many times and uh, he would come to, to do the job. It might be a an £80 job, a £200 job, a £300 job, fixing a boiler or whatever. And then he'd say, right, I'll send you an invoice. So he would then, a couple of weeks later, maybe three or four weeks sometimes, I'd get this invoice in the post. And by that time, I'd forgotten about it, you know, but I'd have to sort of think, well, what was that job for? Okay, right, yeah, you know. And then he would want a cheque. I'd have to then get out a chequebook, write out a cheque and then send it or drop it to to his home. Then, of course, he would have to manually deal with this cheque and, and go down the bank and chase people that haven't paid him and, and this sort of thing and sit down at night preparing invoices. Now, I compare this with uh, another person I deal with, another local tradesman, a locksmith. Now, obviously, in properties, you're always getting used for locksmith. Doors get jammed, locks get jammed. You need to change locks sometimes. Now, he used to turn up in his van with everything he needed to do the job. He'd have hundreds of locks in there and different things and tools. and all that. He'd never have to go away and say, oh, I've got to go down to Wix and all this. Now, okay, he's a locksmith. He's not a big builder or anything, but he would always have everything. He was so very, very well organized. He'd do the job. And when he was done, he'd say, he'd ask for payment. He'd say, right, that's £60, that's £200, whatever it is. He said, okay, how am I going to pay? And he'd say, pay where you like, cash, credit card, credit card. He'd whip out a credit card machine from his van. I'd pay the bill. He then gives me the credit card receipt. If I want another invoice, he'd just handwrite something. And that was the end of it. He didn't have to go home and start sitting down on his computer, preparing invoices, chasing people, banking checks. You know, it was easier for me as well as a customer. I'd rather just pay him. You know, it's a win-win all around. And, you know, sometimes I'd say to the plumber, look, why don't you get a credit card machine? He said, well, I don't know. It's difficult. You know, you have to pay fees and all that sort of thing. But anyway, he, he never listened. And in fact, I don't use them so much now. I just go with a British gas type contract. But, you know, I always think of those two people and one was just so easy to deal with. One was more difficult. Anyway, now we had a regulator at the time called the OISC, the Office of the Immigration Services Commissioner. And they used to say, no, you can't charge up front to people. You have to put 
the money that you they pay you to do the work, you have to put it in a client account. And when you've completed the work, then you can take the money from your client or the client account into your account, which I thought was nonsense. I didn't think that was client's money. Client's money is like when I give my solicitor money for a deposit on a house, not for his fee. You know, if the solicitor wants to charge me up front for his fee, that's fine. It's not client's money. It's just payment in advance or payment for work that's that's commenced. You know, in fact, my solicitor is another example. He doesn't take money up front. He, he always does the work. You know, I'm happy for him to do that if he wants to do that way. He, he does, does the work and then presents his bill at the end. He only takes a little bit of money for disbursements like search fees and that sort of thing. But many other solicitors I know do charge up front or at least they take part payment. They say, right, I want a retainer of £500 or whatever. So just because one solicitor doesn't do it doesn't mean all solicitors have to be like that. You know, you don't have to charge like they did 20, 30 years ago. You know, there's also some dishonest people out there that, you know, if the, if the deal falls through, they might never pay him. So that's the way he works. And, you know, if he's happy to do that, that's fine. But I think he could massively improve his, his cash flow and his and ease of business by just charging up front or taking a retainer. I mean, regulators, the government, they take payment up front, don't they? If you put in an application for for something with the government, they take the payment in advance. Do they give you your money back if they refuse? Generally not. So why do we do that? Now, there are obviously some situations and some business relationships where you can't charge up front. I realise that, you know, you, you can't sort of walk into the NHS and say, you know, give me the money up front. You probably wouldn't get the contract. Now, a few years ago, I did a lot of marketing for a nursing agency in London and they supplied nurses to the NHS for temporary placements or temporary contract. You know, a Saturday night nurses needed for a, for a Saturday night shift. Get that nurse in there, blah, blah, blah. And they supplied nurses, usually last minute stuff when the hospitals were short of staff. Now, the agency would then have to pay the nurse weekly. So if the nurse goes in there on a Saturday night, they want their money by the following Friday or, or, or around a week's time. And they would pay that nurse weekly, but they would only get paid 30 days and sometimes months later by the nursing establishment. Now, because they, they couldn't cope with that sort of cash flow situation, they used what's called a factoring company, which is, is like a bank that kind of smooths out the peaks and troughs so they could maintain their cash flow. A factoring company will basically pay your invoices for people that you owe money to, and then they wait to collect the money from the company that owes you money. Now, the problem with factoring is it's expensive. They're charging an interest on that um, and you're paying that constantly. And uh, the factoring company can change the terms of their business if, if people stop paying you. If they're having constant problems getting paid, you know, they can change the terms. Ultimately, they can pull the plug from you. Also, you can get tied up in, into a factoring arrangement and virtually never be able to get out of it, really. You're kind of stuck with it and it's a constant cost to you. And when you're working as a nursing agency, the margins are not that high as, as people think. You know, you see headlines in the newspaper, you know, agency charges £90 an hour for a nurse and, and this sort of thing for a Saturday night shift or £500 for a shift. Those are exceptions. Generally, what happens is that, you know, they're paying a nurse £15 an hour and they might be charging 18 or 19 pounds an hour and out of that they've got to take money for sometimes national insurance sometimes holiday pay so there's there's not as, as big a margin in this as you as you think so and then with the factoring cost it, it can almost wipe out your profit so they were supplying to the nhs and and one of their contracts was through an umbrella organization where the nhs had given the the 
master contract to an umbrella company and then they would deal with the smaller suppliers they had the easy job really they would just farm the business out to smaller suppliers it was money for old rope really and this was a much larger agency obviously subcontracting to smaller and medium-sized companies like the one I, I was doing the marketing for and at one point this company not the nhs directly but this company owed my clients a smallish business 600,000 pounds for contracts right 600,000 pounds and these were up to 12 months late so i really don't know how the company survived and this meant that they'd done the work they paid the nurses maybe up to a year ago and still not got paid for themselves it would be a huge burden for the company almost brought them down now whilst this was going on they were, of course, still doing business with that company. They were still supplying people every week to the same hospitals and dealing with this same umbrella company. Now, the company was a major customer and provided them with much of the work. So they, they couldn't exactly say, you know, pay up or we're going to court and, you know, we'll stop supplying you and that sort of thing because they could just easily just go to another supplier and get the nurse anyway. So, I mean, the company were not refusing to pay any invoice. They weren't saying, we're not going to pay you. They would just query them. They would return them. They'd say, well, that's not right. You haven't put that correct detail in there. Uh, we don't recognize that shift. This didn't happen. And they keep bouncing things back. And obviously, when you're doing other work, and there, there are hundreds of these invoices going out, it's very hard to cope with all of this messing around. And I think a lot of large companies are guilty of, of doing this. They, they, to improve their cash flow, they pay deliberately pay smaller suppliers late, and yes, you can charge interest on outstanding money, but it's often difficult to get this. And they mess people about and hang on to their money while, you know, smaller companies are, are almost going to the wall. So how did they solve this problem? Well, the answer is they had to bring in a credit controller. This was an experienced credit controller whose full-time job was to make sure that outstanding invoices were paid and ensure that future invoices did not remain unpaid for too long. And he tightened up the whole system, did a very good job, actually. Now, obviously, they had to pay him. I don't know what he earned, 25000 30000 a year or whatever. Uh, again, it was another overhead. It was another expense, but it was very necessary, you know, when everyone was stretched to the limit. Now, he then went through that whole scenario, all those outs, the £600,000 worth of interest invoices, and he did a very good job. He, I used to hear him on the phone negotiating, saying, OK, I'll send that back. You know, all right, I'll deal with that. Now, we've sent that one back to you. Could you now pay this? OK. And as I said, he did a very good job and he, he got it down to a few thousand pounds in the end. And it wasn't like by, by being rude or, or heavy or anything, but he just doggedly worked out and worked through those invoices and had to resend things and that sort of thing and got it sorted out. So if you're a large company, you need somebody or if you've got a large amount of invoices and, and, and bills and, and, and transactions going through, you may need to have a credit controller in place to do this. In my company, I was a credit controller. I was the debt collector. I was a chaser. But that's not always possible. OK, so that's that's the first thing is you must have credit control. Maybe not a credit controller, but you must have somebody uh, and, or a system in place to, to make sure that you are on top of things. The second golden rule is to, wherever possible, request payment in advance. Don't give credit. You're not a bank. I remember used to see signs in small shops, you know, on, on behind the counter said, please do not ask for credit as a smack in the mouth may offend. Remember that? Or as a refuser may may offend. And I think that's, that's, that's not a bad way of running your business. As I said, you're not a bank or a credit card company. So why are you giving credit to people? You know, if they can't get credit themselves, there's a reason for it. Perhaps they're a bad risk. The bank won't give them any money. Perhaps they're up to their eyeballs in debt and in which case, why are you giving them more credit? 
in any case, you don't even know who these people are half the time. And remember that a customer's propensity to pay a bill diminishes in proportion to the time that has elapsed after the service has been delivered. You know, once you've supplied the service or goods to someone, they've already started to forget about you. You know, they're moving on with their other things in life. You know, they've, they've, they've forgotten about your problem. They've got problems of them, their own. And the time they're most emotionally engaged enough to pay you is at the time when they need you most. Like, you know, if your boiler breaks down in the middle of winter or Christmas holidays, you know, you'd pay anything to get your boiler fixed, wouldn't you? But once the boiler's fixed and the house is warm again and another week's passed, you've probably forgotten about the heating engineer who came out on his Christmas break. And, and now you think, well, this is, this is a lot of money, £200. Why should I pay this? You know, so that, that's the time to get the money is when they need it most. Get the money then. You know, if you needed a life-saving operation, which could only be done by a private specialist hospital, the operation is going to cost £10,000 up front, but it could save your life. You, you'd get that money, wouldn't you? You know, but if you'd not paid in advance after the operation is done, you feel better. Yeah, you're grateful and all that sort of thing. But a few weeks go by and you think, well, I've got this money. How am I going to do this? It might throw them a few pounds and that sort of thing. So the time to get the money is, is when it's hot. You strike while the iron's hot. You know, this is why private hospitals have a credit card machine. And before you go in the door at the front desk, they've got a payment machine and they won't let you in to see a doctor unless you, you've paid at that time. Now, look. As I said, there are situations where you can't request payment in advance, in which case you need to go back to tip number one, which is credit control and and systems. But if you do have to supply goods without upfront payment, then at the very least, you need to make some checks on that potential customer. Obtain a credit report, for instance. You can use an agency to do this, or you might be able to get that facility yourself. Ask around. Google them. Find out what, what, what this company's up to. Another thing is you can do a company's house search. You can go into the company's house search, see if they've filed their accounts, see if they're late, see if they've been wound up. <laughs> you know, if they're a limited company, of course, or ask for references. Now, you wouldn't just hand over thousands of pounds to someone in the street, would you? You know, so, so why are you supplying thousands and thousands of pounds of goods or services with no background checks or references? You know, I might have mentioned to you before that a building contractor I know was owed £100,000 by a wealthy customer who had a very large company. And he was always in tears when I saw him. You know, he said, oh, they, they haven't paid me. I've got to go down there again. You know, the, the company was all the way down in Kent. It was miles and miles away from him. He thought he could trust them. Now, he used to do work for me, refurbishment work, without charging me any money up front, not even for materials. You know, I asked him one day, he said, why is it you don't charge anything in advance for, you know, even for materials? He said, oh, you, you have a trusting face. Well, sorry, but a trusting face is not the best way of referencing your, your customers. Of course, I paid him. But, you know, that, that, that um, technique didn't always work for him. Right. The third golden rule is to make it easy for your customers to pay you. Make it easy for them to do business with you. Think about the above comparison between my plumber and the locksmith. You know, the plumber wants a check. He wants to post it to him. He didn't want to, even want to take payments by bank transfer. You know, the locksmith pulls out his machine. It's all done. You know, I would have rather paid my plumber on the spot because I could just forget about it then. You know, but he was always insisting on checks in the post and etc. Now, that's the thing is credit card machines can be a little bit expensive. Yeah, the bank's going to take a bit of, of money from it. But I think not taking cards in an industry where you need to, and increasingly now more and more people are not carrying cash, you know, not taking credit cards is a bit of a false economy. You know, the cost of setting these up now is much lower than it used to be. I think when we started taking cards, which we were one of the first companies in our sector to do so, I remember the bank HSBC charges a fortune like five hundred pounds or something, and it was it was 
you know, expensive to, to use this thing. But now there are so many new kids on the block that will charge you a lot less and you can do it from your, your phone with a little machine. So definitely try that. I mean, in, in Arrow, there's still a few Chinese restaurants. I, I don't know why it's Chinese companies, but they either refuse to take credit cards or even charge a, a fee to take a debit card. Now, I've often seen this guy. I know the guy and I've seen him in the bank. He's got this big bag of cash and he's having to walk down to the bank and I mean, the bank are charging them to, to, to count this cash. They're not doing it for nothing. And yeah, a, a credit card company would take a percentage of your, your turnover, but it saves you time and money. And more people will do business with you if you take cards. I can't think of the time I've avoided going into an establishment because they don't take a, a debit card or, or, you know, I think I've got to go to the bank. You know, I've got to get, oh, let's go here instead. You know, they take cards. It, it's unbelievable. And this guy is, is kind of missing the point. It, it is a big, you know, why not just, if the bank are going to charge you 2%, just add that onto your each customer's bill. Just put your prices up to cope with it. There's a cost of doing business and, and someone's got to pay it, you know. So another thing is if you're collecting recurring payments or annual fees, then do, do so by standing order, direct debit or credit card. Don't do what a lot of uh, charitable organisations where they send you a form. Oh, God, you know, you've got a form and they know who you are but you've got to put your name and address in every year. Then you've got to send off a check to them. There's one company, I'm a, I'm a friend of some museum, and I, I, every year they send me a, a bloody form. I've got to fill it all in, and then I've got to send them a check for £5. I said, what is the cost of being a life member? I was so fed up with it. You know, so don't do this. Um, I've said, why don't you use uh, standard? Oh, no, that's too difficult to track and all this sort of stuff, you know. But there, there are lots of ways of collecting them. Direct debit, if you can get that facilities where you debit their account, standing orders where they pay you from their bank into your bank, a little bit more tricky to, to use and monitor. Or you can do uh, get a credit card facility where they're just paying by credit card once a year now or once a month, whatever it is. Now, just do that. Over the years, I've noticed that Americans lead the way in this. Uh, they're, they're particularly good at making it easy for you to spend money or more importantly, making it easy for them to take your money. <laughs> you know, they're, they're pretty good at this. They seem to collect payments easily and efficiently that most of them will do it by by credit card because with international banking it's not you know you can't have debit cards and debit from people's bank all over the world so they, they tend to use credit cards and even restaurants i remember eating in an american restaurant 15 16 years ago when waiters and waitresses would carry a machine on their, their sort of belt and you know when you when you ask for the bill they'd say here it is they print it out bang there it is you want to pay by card yep here's the card bang it's finished done they walk off goodbye have a nice day they're gone you know here you've got to call the waiter over to can i have the bill oh hold on a minute it'll go back again come back about 10 minutes later here's your bill it's on a nice little silver platter a little tray there with a with a mint that they've touched with their fingers and you know you don't want to eat that and uh then you know then you you, you say and they walk away then they disappear for another 10 minutes then do you get their attention again i've got here they come over Oh, you want to use a card, do you? All right, I'll go back and get the card machine. Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes I used to get impatient and say I'd, I'd order the bill halfway through the meal. <laughs> well, not literally, but you know what I mean. The Americans, just 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 make it easy for your customers to do business with you. Make it easy for, for them to order things from you. Make it easy for the whole transaction and payment. All seamless. Make it, make it very easy. Think about 
using small suppliers and, and, and the difference between small suppliers and Amazon, for instance. You know, no wonder Amazon are, are growing so fast. You know, you log in, you know what your last orders are. You can, if you want to reorder something, you, you, it's so easy to do. You've got one-click payments. And if it goes wrong, you just send it back. They don't argue with you like smaller companies do, smaller suppliers. So just think about how easy is it for people to do business with you from from the very first phone call to the to the ordering process and everything and look at the way the americans do it they, they they make it so easy so let's just recap on that then my three tips for my golden rules for avoiding bad debts and improving cash flow are credit control and systems take payments in advance and make it easy for people to do business with you and pay you so thanks for listening i hope that's given you some good tips to go forward in your small business or anything you do in life. Uh, Just use those three tips. Thanks very much. This has been Charles Kelly bringing you money tips to help you save, earn, invest and accumulate more money. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 